Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm your host, Danny, and with me today. Well, before I introduce who's with me today, I want to know if you're out there and you watch SpongeBob, go ahead and raise your hand. Why are you raising your hand? Really, I can't see your hand anyways. But uh, if you watch SpongeBob, I know I'm a SpongeBob fan. Uh, don't ask me why. I've been watching it for years. But there's an episode out there on SpongeBob where uh, Patrick Starr says he's Mr. Dr. Professor Patrick. And so he has all these different titles. And so what does it have to do with today? I don't know. Just talking to Cody, knowing a little bit about him. We got his brother in Christ. He recently got his doctorates and he's a pastor and he's a mister. So now we have Mr. Pastor, Dr. Brother Cody Wallace with us today. I don't know what order we want to put that in, but yeah. uh, Dr. Cody Wallace is a uh, like I said, just recently got his demon fairly recently. And so we we're talking a little bit about that. He's the pastor of Southwest Community Church out in Miami, Florida, as well as the host and the founder of the Transform 365 podcast. You can check out all those links in the descriptions below. And so before we get into this interview, talking about discipleship and really going to be uh, summing everything up, looking at John 15 at the end. Uh, but before we get into all that, uh, Cody, just thank you for being with us today. Is there anything you'd like to share before we jump into these questions, uh, share with the audience who you are, ministries, hobbies, whatever? Yeah, uh, Daniel, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I'm, I'm very honored. Uh, I just, as you said, just recently uh, finished defending my uh, dissertation at Liberty. And so, yes, I am recently uh, a, a doctor now. And so uh, I tell people they don't have to call me Dr. Wallace or say, you know, Dr. Cody or anything like that. I'm still Cody. Uh, but I do request one thing, which is that people, when they uh, first call me on the phone, they just say, what's up, doc? And that's it. That's it. Only, <laughs> and they only have to do it once. That's, that's, you know, um, but uh, I'm, yeah, exactly. Get the rim shot. Uh, but I'm a father of three, and I've been married to my uh, wonderful wife, Margaret Meg, is what we all call her, for the past 21 years. And wow, so amen. I've been blessed by her. I've been in ministry for a little over 20 years now. Uh, first started in 2002, um, mm -hmm. and just been blessed to um, you know, go out there and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only mm -hmm. thing that saves. And I, I do have a heart for discipleship. And uh, yes, I do write, um, have um, Break the Mold, uh, which is the, um, it's, it's a, it's really my life verse, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2, written mm -hmm. in a very digestible form. And we just recently, um, with Grace Acres uh, Press, which is the publication company, mm -hmm. um, they just recently put out the uh, second part to that, which is a study guide, which people can do individually or as a small group. I encourage small group studies because that's where the heart of discipleship really lies. When you get in a group of, you know, six to 10 individuals and just dig down deep. And then from there, you can develop, you know, one to one opportunities or one to three opportunities as we see with Christ. Right. Yeah. And um, and so that's really just uh, my heart. And uh, yeah, started Transform 365 Ministries um, years back and uh, just kind of made it available to whoever uh, would like to get serious about discipleship. Yeah. Hey, Amen. Well, I appreciate that. We're going to have all the links to everything that uh, Mr. Dr. Professor Cody Wallace had <laughs> said there. But uh, 
So yeah, and, and the free resources, I mean, that's that's a huge blessing. So anybody that's serious about discipleship, I'd encourage you to go ahead and check it out. I've downloaded the Discipleship Leadership Guide on Transform 365. And uh, so check it out. Well, what we're doing today, like I already said, and, and like he alluded to, his heart's discipleship. And and really, a lot of the time, the interviews for are theology-driven, and there are questions that you guys have or thoughts and, and, and just topics you guys really enjoy. Uh, this particular interview, I wanted to do it because this is something that I've been burdened with and something that I really want to learn more about. So I'm hoping to uh, learn more from Cody, and I, I know I will, but as we go ahead and we look at the church today, and specifically this Western church here in America, we see that this woke, this liberal, this progressive ideology is really not just infiltrating the church, but infiltrating the day-to-day lives of many Christians. Why do you believe that is, Cody? Why do we see such immorality, such liberalism, wokeness into the lives of Christians today? Well, I, I think in large, it has to do with um, the loudest voice, right? Hmm. Um, so it's not the fact that there are not Bible-believing believers and preachers and teachers out there. Right. It has to do with the loudest and most accepted voice is the one that is um, taking over. So you look in the schools in academia, and uh, there is this idea that acceptance of 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 sin is partaking in sin right um Mm -hmm. and acceptance of sin is you say that it is no longer sin you look at just the agenda that is out there the underlying theme is uh don't call people sinners um you know and because that's that's judging and i think in our efforts to try to reach people we've left what um we've we've left the idea that sin is still sin um we still have a sin nature and um that it's okay to call somebody out for doing wrong you know um but instead we've uh, done a whole 180 turn on that right um and i like to say it in this way um is that you know um we don't need to rush to judge okay so In the whole idea of, you know, liberalism and in the church and in invading the church and the progressive wokeness that's out there mm-hmm. is that we don't have to point a finger and say, well, you know, you're you're homosexual or you've had a baby before wedlock or you're addicted per- to pornography or alcohol or something like that. You're, you're going to hell or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what we're supposed to do. Right. Um what we need to do is love that person into heaven for sure, right? <laughs> we need to uh, show them the arms, hands, feet, mind of Christ. The woman at the well, the reason for Jesus sitting down and telling her, yeah, you have many husbands, was not to tell her you're a sinner, you're a horrible person. It was an actual sign that he was performing. No one else knew that this woman had done those things. And if you look at the tone that he took with her, number one, he wasn't coming with an acceptance of what she was doing, right? He wasn't right. saying, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you know, kind of ruining marriages in the village and I'm okay with that. No, he didn't <laughs> right. do that. Um, but he also didn't condemn her. You know, he did tell her, hey, you know, quit doing that. But 
it was after she had trusted him as savior. So he was really just loving her into the kingdom in a way, right? He's, he's um, coming alongside her. He's caring more for her soul than the sin that's separating her. Mm-hmm. And, and then once she has trusted Christ, it's that idea of, okay, you know, you need to quit doing this um, and go into the city, tell everybody, you know, tell everybody what you just experienced here because they need to experience this as well. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the idea that we need to look at is to, um, you know, in our fear no. to accept people, don't accept the sin, accept the sinner, right? And um, still say, no, sin is wrong, right? Uh, just like as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should, when our brother or sister, if somebody says they're a believer, we should just go ahead and call them out when they do something wrong, you know, mm-hmm. as an accountability. Um, Galatians tells us that we're to, you know, uh, bury one another's burden. Hebrews tells us that we're to spur one another on towards good work. So we need to go ahead and be that prod and say, hey, look, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, you need to correct that, but I still love you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the stance we need to take. And I think, um, you know, the church is kind of taking a different stance of, well, if I say something, then, you know, they're going to hate me and they're not going to trust Christ. Um, and then they just, they never end up sharing Christ. So they're, they're definitely losing the message for sure. Yeah. So more of a passivity to it than, yeah. you know, anything, uh, desensitization, you know, I like what you said and, in a recent sermon that I had preached, I had just preached on a revelation eight through 10 and where we look at, okay, we, the rapture can come at any moment. And so, you know, just be ready. But when you look at the flip side of that, if the rapture can come any moment, we don't know if we have tomorrow to tell our loved ones how to escape the tribulation period. And so one thing when I was preparing for the sermon, that uh, a statement that I came across is to look at everybody as a soul and not a sinner. Mm -hmm. to look at them as somebody that has a a soul that's going to have an immortality in one or two locations yeah i think that's c.s lewis right is that who it was i don't believe that's uh c.s lewis is the one that said that in mere christianity i think and i love that you know and so definitely a different perspective uh so one thing that really confuses a lot of people is when we get into scripture it sort of seems like there's a uh a conflation between what a disciple does and what a believer does. I think it was many years ago, a Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called uh, uh, Not a Fan, tried to yeah. draw a parallel distinctions between a fan and a follower. It was really a lordship book. But could you explain a little bit, what is the difference between being a believer and being a disciple? What's the difference? Yeah, so, um, and that's a great question. Um, because this is one that I run into so often is that um, people associate um, trusting Christ as their savior and following Christ as being one and the same. And um, not everybody that has put their trust in Jesus follows him with their life. And even people that follow Jesus, let's just admit it, um, we fail to follow him completely. Right. right. That's why we have areas of struggle. That's why we have, um, you know, um, not every believer does everything a hundred percent. Then not just every disciple follows Jesus a hundred percent. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so we have areas of our life that aren't dedicated to him. You know, they're kind of like, well, Jesus, I'll let you into my Wednesday Bible study and my Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to my work life, you're not invited. Right. Or when it comes to my finances, you're not invited. When Jesus says, hey, listen, um, anybody that wishes to follow me, he must hate his father, mother, you know, brother, sister, you know, cousin twice removed and even his dog and his pickup truck. And he has to follow me. Right. And I think that's where the big disconnect is, is that we look at that and and um, where some believers will look at that and say, well, that is the cost of believing. That's not the cost of believing, right? right? Because what did Jesus say uh, in in Revelation? John is looking at him and he, he's in, in, and they're saying, hey, come and drink without cost. Right. Whoever is thirsty, come and drink without cost. So salvation has no cost because the cost was all put on Christ. And so these people that say it's, it's, um, you know, we kind of get this, I guess it's an insult. I don't know if it, if it is, I don't think it's an insult personally. I think uh -huh. it's um, something uh, I would say I agree with. Uh, they call it easy believism, right? Oh. They say, you know, we're giving, we're not giving anything for people to do. And that's true. We, we don't because Jesus didn't put anything for people to do because he did it all. Right. right. On the cross, he said, uh, it is finished. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. There was no other sacrifice. Hebrews just goes in how he is the greater and the better. Right. He is the better priest. He is the greater sacrifice. Why? Because he did it all. He sat down where all the all the priests would have to continually offer sacrifices daily. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because his work was completed, just as he said. And so I think that's where, you know, people, they run in these two, right? Because mm -hmm. salvation is free. Jesus paid the, the price, the ultimate price, you know. Um, but then he, he broke the bondage of sin and death when he rose again. Um, but discipleship is costly. Because discipleship is saying, okay, I'm going to have to put my own selfishness and my own um, self-considerations, my own self-conceit, um, all the selves that you kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> associate with. I have to put those on hold because I'm living for Christ. And that means that when I want to, you know, look at my, let's just use finances because that's the area I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people suffer with. Let's, let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, you know, me and my family, we would love to, you know, go to a vacation in the mountains, right? That would be great. Um, you got the beach out there, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we get sick of the beach. No, my wife would tell me if, if she heard me say that. No, we don't get sick of the beach. But, um, you know, we'll edit that part out. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, but the, the idea is this is, yeah, I mean, um, I would love to go ahead and just, you know, use my finances for more vacations, right? Mm -hmm. I would like to use my my finances maybe to remodel my house more or when emergencies take place and my car breaks down. I would right. like to use those finances, my finances to, you know, fix my car, get a new one. But discipleship is costly. I'm I'm saying, no, I, I want what I have dedicated to the Lord, which is my life 
to all be to the honor and glory of him, not for me, not for my wants, right? So even though a nice, you know, trip to Italy would be great. Um, no, I'm going to use my finances to, you know, grow his kingdom, not for my own glory and excitement and fascinations, but for him. And, and so that is the cost of discipleship. And if it wasn't a cost, I think that the words like Paul uses of agonizing, right? He's like, I agonizo my, I, I, I stress, my body is like stressing under the weight of trying to follow him. You know, I do all these things, you know, he says, you know, that we are like um, being pressed from all sides. And it's the um, imagery of a wine press coming down on the olives, right? And he's like, we're pressed down. Uh, but guess what? I'm not discouraged. Right. And, you know, and, and so he just keeps on in it. And so the journey or the marathon, as he describes it, of discipleship is one that is costly. And so that's just a I think it's just a, a mix up in the narrative because there has been and, and this, I think, uh, will probably tie into some of the questions that are out there. Is where the the big disconnect in church and pastors comes from because really, you know, haze in the pulpit, you know, or, or just, you know, obscurity in the pulpit creates a haze in the, in the congregation. I think yeah. that because pastors are looking at these passages and they're like, well, maybe I just need to make this harder and tougher and I'll see less people back out of their relationship with the Lord. Or I'll see less people, um, you know, sinning or less people, you know, backsliding. And so they try to make it tough for them, you know, um, rather than say, you know, what, I need to just lay in and discipleship more. I need to help them grow more. I think that's where, you know, and I think really, if we just go to a biblical definition of what discipleship is, right. Yeah. Um, then we will understand the difference between discipleship and believing. Believing is you have put trust into something right? You have put your trust, you've put your faith, right? Those are all words synonymous to one another, belief, trust, faith. Mm -hmm. Disciple, at its simplest terms scripturally, means learner, follower. So, um, you know, when scripture, because scripture talks about three different groups of disciples. Okay. When scripture talks about the Pharisees' disciples, um, they weren't saved, right? right? So obviously we can't say that discipleship means salvation. Um, and we can't say that all disciples are believers because these are disciples that were not believers. They okay. were they were Pharisees, yeah, right? They were being trained in the Pharisaical rabbinical system. So that's where I just say we have to be very careful in our in our verbiage. Now, in modern sense, our all disciples are believers, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we use it to connotate the relationship that people have with Jesus. So mm -hmm. I do have to clarify there before <laughs> somebody goes ahead and throws me out as a heretic, is that <laughs> modern day disciples are believers. But in biblical sense, not everybody that is referred to as a disciple was a believer at that time, right? Because there was the Pharisees' disciples, the three groups where the Pharisees' disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, 
right? right. So Andrew was one of John, you know, John the Baptist's disciples. And the 12, and then beyond that, those that also claim to be the disciples of Christ. And we see that in John 135, 325, and Luke 533 and 719. We see the different descriptions of the disciples out there. And so it if we're just taking it for its biblical context, then right. discipleship is different and distinct from believer. Now, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was trying to figure out which verse it was. And in Matthew chapter, verse number, chapter 23, uh, verse number 15, Jesus pronounces a lot of woes unto the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, you go around seeing land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more of the child of hell than yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking about, yeah, I mean, they're converting them into their pharisaical rabbinical Judaism. Yeah. They're making them so much more worse legalistic uh, than what the Pharisee is that converted him. So I'm glad you, you know, brought that aspect up that just because we read in scripture, a disciple or a follower, we got to ask, just like with the question of salvation, saved from what? Disciple of whom? Uh, mm-hmm. things like that. So you did mention that disciple uh, in modern terms today, as we see it uh, within Christianity is to be a follower of Christ and a pupil of Christ. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on what, what were disciples back in the days of Jesus? Like what was the process of discipleship within uh, with the rabbis? Yeah. So um, that is a, a really great question. And a lot of research has gone into this, even beyond me, into so many uh, individuals beyond. And believe it or not, the Talmud uh, gives us such great insight. And then also the discoveries that they've made in in uh, the Dead Sea area, right? Um, you know, just seeing the discipleship that took place or the disciples of the Qumran community and, and whatnot. So in early Judaism... Okay, Um, you know, uh, parents usually taught their children like the alphabet um, from what we uh, can distinguish nowadays. Right. Looking back and kind of trying to understand things. Um, They taught their kids the alphabet using like Psalm 119. Right. Mm -hmm. Isn't that really cool? I mean, you're teaching your kids memorization of scripture and the alphabet at the same time. That's so because there's a Psalm 119 broken down in the Hebrew alphabet. All exactly. Letters. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that, you know, from an early age, right, that's about three years old, your kids are getting instilled <laughs> the concepts of scripture above all else, right? Yeah. And um, after they would get into like a formal, you know, uh, type of training, they would, it would be biblical training. So all kids um, would be in a, 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 a a training uh, similar to what's done in the Hasidic Jews um, following today. So if you um, are familiar with the way the Hasidic Jews do, um, once a kid is about like seven or eight, they're, they're studying and they're going through the studies of scripture. Now they um, study mostly the books of the Talmud and Mishnah and things of that nature and so really, they're just studying a rabbi's take from the Bible, a rabbi's understanding or a commentary um, or an application of the 615 laws, right? 
And so they're going through that and they're trying to disseminate how to apply the laws to their life. And so that's what they're studying and, and trying to master. Well, it was a very similar system back in Jesus's day. Um, they would do the same thing. And then once you got to about uh, 13, when you mitzvahed, right, as they call it today, uh, once you became an adult um, in, in a lower sense, right, you were seen as, as, you know, of age, not really an adult, I should say. Right. Um, you would go ahead and you would take like a test. You would be questioned by a rabbi or a Pharisee, you know, somebody that was high up that would see if they're going to take you under their wing. They wanted, this was like an IQ test, you know, and they would just ask you different um, aspects of the application of scripture to see your aptitude for understanding the application in everyday life. Um, That's why when Jesus gets lost um, and, you know, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they're freaking out and they're trying to understand where is Jesus, where is Jesus, and he, they go into the synagogue, right? And Jesus is there and he's answering correctly all the questions of the rabbis. And it says that all the rabbis were astonished because he was just rightfully disseminating <laughs> the word of God. And so they basically like all the rabbis are like, oh yeah, we'll take him as our apprentice because this kid's amazing, right? Um, So that's kind of what would be taking place at that time. All these kids would be going and standing and and, uh, being questioned. What's your application of this? How do you see this application of of the law in your life? And if you did well, then you would go into rabbinical studies, right? You would start the process of being discipled and mentored by a rabbi. And you would be learning his application of those 615 laws. Okay, his particular way of doing that. And it's cool. We see like Paul, he is a disciple of Gamaliel. Yeah. Or when he was solved, you know, of Tarsus, he was being discipled by Gamaliel. And when you read the writings during that time by Gamaliel, he actually claims that Paul was the brightest of his students. <laughs> and so that's really neat to, to find. So you have Hillel, Shammai and Gamaliel during the time of, of Jesus. And Jesus, obviously, as being one of the top rabbis himself, he he goes by the term rabbi. His disciples call him rabbi. The Pharisees, in honor of the title, not in honor of him, right. call him rabbi and they call him Lord. Because one of the, the, the things that you did was you would call somebody master, Lord, and it was in recognition of the uh, rabbinical, um, you know, okay. uh, position. And so um, once you got to about... Um, uh, you know, 13, 14 ish, you would do that. And if you made it, you would go to the rabbi and, uh, or, or a top rabbi teacher, somebody that would mold you mm-hmm. and continue to help you. And then, um, if not, you were apprenticed out, right? Um, so you would go and let's say you just, you couldn't see the application, um, you know, of, um, you know, uh, just you couldn't see the everyday application of the law mm-hmm. um, and you failed your oral exam to the rabbis. Well, then you would be apprenticed. It didn't mean you you didn't study the word of God. It just means that you weren't a cut above. And so now you're just going to go to your back to your parents 
and you're going to either apprentice with your father or your father, if he saved up some extra money because he wanted you to be apprenticed to somebody else, you'd go and apprentice to somebody else. Uh, great examples of that is um, Peter with Andrew, John um, and his brother with uh, their father, right? They're fishermen. Right. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're, um, they're for what you look at and according to the tradition of that day, the history of that day, they more than likely were not uh, beyond the point of apprenticeship yet because they didn't have their own practices. Even Matthew, uh, Matthew, um, you know, and, and we also know this because they're not paying temple tax. You know, when you go to scripture and it talks about, um the the tax collectors come up to jesus to peter and they're like how come your your master doesn't pay the temple tax um he's like oh well he pays temple tax of course he pays temple tax <laughs> and he goes in and he's like jesus can you believe these guys want you to pay temple tax and jesus says yeah actually okay yeah you know um there's this dialogue where he's like you know um the son that lives on his father's land shouldn't have to pay his father, right? Because that's just part of him being related. Right. And he's like, but let's, let's, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's just humor them. Go out, throw a hook. The first fish you catch, pull it up and you'll find money in its mouth. And it's enough for you and me. Well, that lets us know that the only two that were old enough to pay the temple tax was Peter and Jesus. Because he comes and he pulls out the drachma, and it's perfectly only for two people, for Peter and for Jesus. That lets us know that the other disciples were too young to be in their own business already. Mm -hmm. um, because according to the, the writings of Jewish tradition of that day, and Mishnah and Talmud, and I'm going to reference that a lot. That doesn't mean that I you know, necessarily agree with it, but that's historical right. documents that let us know, you know the history of that day. Um, Josephus is another one and things like that, you know, um, it lets us know that, um, you did not start your own business till you were about 18. Mm -hmm. So you were apprenticed for about, um, you know, anywhere between four and five years, somewhere around there. Okay. And so you're learning the tricks of the trade. You're learning how to deal with people. You're learning how to make the right cuts. If you're a carpenter, how to, you know, frame a house correctly. How do you mend your nets after catching, right. you know? Um, so you're learning the in, in and outs of everyday life while a rabbinical student, he's learning the in and outs of the law every day. Right. And so there, you have the two sides of the coin, which is really neat. And so, um, and then uh, scripture lets us know that um, the, the drachma for, the temple tax was not to be collected until the individual was 20. And so that means they had two years to be successful in their company once they were done being apprenticed. Hmm. Um, and, you know, basically they don't want to go and collect a tax on somebody that hasn't been making ends meet. So they're like, okay, you got two years to make a living hmm. and then we're coming after you for the temple tax. So that also lets us know that the age of the disciples that followed Jesus were very young. Uh, huh. Most of them, uh, you know, maybe uh, 19 and younger because they only collected a temple tax for two individuals. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. For those that aren't familiar with the that was Talmud, a long discussion. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. That was pretty, uh, 
pretty eye-opening and enlightening as far as from a Jewish perspective. And I know you mentioned the Talmud a lot, said you would reference it again. For those that may be unfamiliar, uh, the Talmud, you typically have your Jerusalem and your Babylonian Talmud written mm-hmm. about third century, fifth century. Uh, and basically what it is, is it, it's the oral law. Uh, and then inside of the Talmud, it's made up of the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah is going to be really the the oral law, if you will, and the Gemara is going to be the rabbi's commentary uh, as far as how that applies to life. And so things like remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, while there's no real clear guidelines in the scriptures that say how to actually keep it holy. And so the oral law was developed to go ahead and sort of outline, okay, this is how we do it. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, so when he's talking about the Talmud, that's more what he's talking about. It's fascinating. We get a lot of information, like I said, with Qumran caves and just the yeah. the Essenes uh, out there and, and just how they lived and practiced. So I think that plays a big role as far as understanding what discipleship was then and sort of when we're looking at discipleship from a biblical sense in the scriptures, a literal, grammatical, historical uh, dispensational sure. method, it allows us to see, okay, the process and what should we do as well. Now, I do want to ask you the age-old question that's been around for uh, probably since the dawn of man. Yeah. Are leaders born or developed? What is your take on it? (laughs) Well, um, you know, you're talking about discipleship, right? Right. So I would say it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, So Jesus went to failed rabbinic students. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just put it like it is, right? Yeah. I just gave that long explanation for a reason. Because <laughs> these were were failed rabbinic students. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Thomas, every one of them, you know, uh, they were failed rabbinic students. Not one of them made it uh, past the testing of the rabbis to see who would become the next rabbi. Okay, yeah. And um, Jesus saw something in them to develop. Jesus saw that they were ready for something beyond. Uh, Part of that, I think, is that Jesus um, didn't want somebody that was going to come and be like, well, you know, um, Hillel says this, right? And this is, you know, the approach. No, he wanted people that were, were ready for him. You know, I think that's part of it. Uh, so he went through the the rejects and built yeah. them up. And then what did they say later on? The men, you know, in, in Jerusalem, they looked at the disciples and they're like, hey, uh, these guys, listen to the way they talk. They've been around that Nazarene, right? Yeah. And they've been around Jesus of Galilee, we could tell. Um, and so that's, that's really neat. So I would say that uh, it's a little bit of both. I'd say that... Um, Biblically, you can see the torch being handed down from generation to generation, right? You have Elijah and Elisha, um, and that very much was a form of discipleship. In, in Old Testament times, they called them the Talmudim and, okay. uh, or uh, the Lumda. Uh, I may have pronounced that one wrong. but And then in, in, in the New Testament times, they were called uh, Methetas, right? They were called disciples. And, um, and they're both mean the exact same thing. It means a, a learned one, right? A taught one. You're teaching this individual to come after you and basically take up your torch and continue it on. And so uh, you see that with Moses, uh, with Joshua. It said that Joshua tended Moses, right? 
yeah. he, he basically waited on Moses hand and foot. But in that time, it was because Moses was molding him for the leadership position. <laughs> and so I think that um, in a major part, um, it's developed. You're calling out of somebody the greatness that is within them. You're molding them and shaping them according to scripture. Uh, but then also you come to Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, right? Where it says that the individual has to be able to handle. Um, oh, so it, it, it tells us that we're to find those that are faithful, able, and teachable. So I think that it's also something within the individual that stands out. And so it's a little, that's why I say it's a little bit of both. So Okay. No, that, that's good. And I want to get into some practicality of, of all this, what we've been laying a foundation for right now. And so you had made mention of the fact of, you know, uh, being born, being developed, if if you will. And so what about churches? Okay. So churches want to develop disciples yeah. or a discipleship program. And I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, are there various discipleship models or methodology if there are could you explain and and is one better than the other or are they all good depending upon situation help us understand a little bit church that wants to institute discipleship program what models are they and which are best so there are different discipleship methods out there there's different methods to small group discipleship mm -hmm. you know um you've probably heard of the micro church movement mm -hmm. Um, you've probably heard of the community movements and all these different movements that are out there. Mm -hmm. And they all have a, a strong aspect uh, to them. And I would say that churches need to find something that works for them because every church should be discipling. Every church should be dis building disciples. And you don't just want, though, to build disciples, you need disciple makers that are making disciples. Mm -hmm. And that is the key aspect within this. You don't want just to create disciples. And then that generation ends there, right? Because the, the command is to go out and to make disciples of all the nations, right? Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And so the idea is that we need to make disciple makers that are going to go out and make disciple makers. Now, I will tell you that the best way to approach discipleship is to take a biblical approach to discipleship. Um, discipleship is not a um, it's not a movement and it's not a um, mega church, uh, you know, outreach. Okay. Um, and and I think that some. Some churches approach it in that way, and, and um, it fits a bill for a little while. But the thing is, um, discipleship is it's multiplication, but in a slow way. Mm -hmm. um, you're reaching individuals who are going to go out and being trained to reach other individuals who will then go out and reach other individuals. And so the returns are very slow because you're having to invest your life and your practice into maybe a handful of individuals at a time. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be able to mass produce this um, over a, a great group. Um, but I would say that the, the most productive way and model of doing discipleship is the model that Jesus took, where he took mm -hmm. a handful 
and invested in them and said, okay, walk with me, um, right? Come follow me. And uh, which is actually a, a rabbinical call to discipleship. Um, the rabbis would go and say, okay, you'll come after me, okay. um, meaning you'll, you'll learn from me. So Jesus used the same terminology the rabbis did in that time, which is really cool as you read it. Um, so you're calling these individuals, come, come with me, right? I'm going to show you what it, what it looks like to change the carburetor in your car <laughs> as a believer. I want you to sit and have dinner with me and my family. So you could see how a believer and a follower of Jesus eats dinner and interacts with his family. I want you to come to my kid's baseball game so you could see what a follower of Jesus looks like cheering on his kid, you know, not going crazy in the stands. That is basically what you're doing. You're taking a group of people and doing life with them. And you're showing them the application of scripture and how scripture comes alive to you. You're showing them how you succeed or sometimes you fail to apply scripture to your life, how the word of God speaks to you. And then, and you have had great success in that way, or you failed greatly in that way. Right. And if you don't share your successes and failures, um, then I often tell people, if you don't share your failures, then, then you're failing twice because then you're not using that failure to help somebody else avoid a pitfall. So um, it's important that you also share those moments because they're teachable moments and opportunities. And so that is the key one, right? Jesus did life with these guys. He walked down the road with them for hours at a time, just in engaging them and filling them and sharing with them, mm -hmm. letting them see him in the marketplace, letting them see him with the tax collectors, letting them see that him with the Pharisees, letting them see him as he entered the synagogue and temple, right? They saw him in every aspect um, all the time. And so that's, that's one aspect of it. So small group discipleship is key. You want a small group that you're pouring into and keeping up with and investing in. But then Jesus also had a more intimate group. Uh, people that he saw um, could use either a little bit more or maybe he saw something that was unique about them. And I think it was more the second part, right? Because like you read about John, who was one that was part of that three, he would mm -hmm. always pull, you know, the, the three together. Uh, Peter, James, John, he would, you know, take them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, he, he would always pull these three together with him, right? And in more intimate, you know, situations. Right. And, um, I think it was because he saw something a little bit different in them because John says, you know, I love it that he never really gives that he is the, the one that, you know, is in those situations. He's like, and okay. the one whom Jesus, <laughs> Jesus loves. loves. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so I think that's letting us know, okay. Yeah. There was a little bit, there was something special about John and, that, that Jesus would do that with. And then Peter, I think Peter was the same way. Peter was like the chosen leader of, of the group of 12. Because like whenever Peter, and, and I think it's partly because he was the oldest of the group, you know, he, he was married. So we know he is over, over 20 years old. He had his own business. So we know, you know, he wasn't apprenticed anymore. So 
you know, he, uh, you know, I, I think Peter probably was in his like, you know, mid twenties at this time. Right. And so he's like the chosen leader of these kids or these teenagers. And so whenever it was like, you know, they're gathered around, they're like nudging Peter and they're like, you, you know, <laughs> ask, ask Jesus, ask Jesus. Right. And so that's why we get all those instances where Peter's just like foot in the mouth. Right. And just like, you know, oh, Jesus, you know, um, it's great that we're here. We should build uh, some tabernacles because this is fantastic. Or, you know, Jesus, I'll never let you be hung and killed. And that's terrible. I'll kill whoever comes around here. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You know, and I think that's, you know, that is also part of it is that Peter just has this tenacity about him. He has this fire in his belly right he has this um just this this excitement about him and that's what jesus was drawn to he saw that natural leader in peter um now peter needed some taming right but peter was fearless i mean he when everybody else all the other disciples were gathered together and kind of huddled together in the boat and like I, i'm scared right it, it actually i love the 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 greek terminology that it uses it, it kind of like when it says they the the disciples um yelled in fear it's as if they <laughs> it, it was as it, it's the the verb the the words that are used for like a inaudible shriek oh right it, it made no sense what they were yelling they're just screaming like a bunch of pansies you know huh. and they're yelling there yeah and peter's just like well if it is you jesus then call me on the water and i'll walk to you <laughs> you know i'll do what you're doing right now so peter has that you know, yeah, he has yeah. that leadership quality and that's why Jesus pulled him in and was like, okay, Peter, you're going to be part of this intimate group. Right. So, um, and so I think that's the other aspect is, so you have to let your, your small groups build into your one-to-one, -one, um, you know, more intimate relationships. And so like, um, you know, as you, as you brought up earlier, I have the transform365.com. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is we've made small group resources available, but we also have training um, videos that are up there that tell people how to, how to bring your small group into the more intimate, let your small group lead into one-to-one -one opportunities because one-to-one -one is where you can really dig in, where you can have the deeper accountability, where you can, be praying together in a more meaningful way where you could just really build into somebody's life in an intimate way. And that is so important and so key, but it's slow yeah. and it does, you know, just like th that's why discipleship is costly because it's time consuming. Um, and it means that you're going to have to go ahead and say, this person is worth my time and efforts. Now you, you gave a little teaser there. Uh, and I want to see if maybe you can unpack just a little bit. And I've heard it said before, and you said it again, that discipleship is about doing life together. Mm -hmm. uh, and you clearly showed that with Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, things like that. Uh, but as far as small groups are concerned, what should a small group look like? Like, should small groups just do like a, a Bible study or should there be an aspect of small groups that includes you know just good conversations maybe some icebreakers should it always include food you know in your mind as a pastor someone that has a heart for discipleship and i'm just throwing this one out there because it really came to my mind just now is what should small groups do 
Yeah. So um, one of the cool things is, um, you know, we don't see it much in the Gospels, but we do see it in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. is that it says that um, the church would meet, uh, yeah, they would meet together in the synagogues and in the temple, right, in, in the big sense, you know, uh, there, there would be hundreds, if not thousands of people worshiping together. Mm -hmm. in those instances but then it said that and they met almost every single day in the houses of believers mm -hmm. and it said that they would come together and they would break bread and that's the mm -hmm. idea of what you'd call oikos right it, home you break bread together and when you eat with somebody that's a very intimate thing right you're mm -hmm. inviting somebody i mean think of your own danny when you're getting to get when you invite somebody over to your house you and your wife probably scramble to like just make the house perfect, right? No, and... I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah. it's a process, right? You're 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 preparing for this individual. And and then you get into this intimate setting. The person comes in, you're opening your home where you rest, where you live. Um, you're you're opening up your area of solace, right? Where work ends and home begins, where, you know, um, where your direction as a father comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Especially like uh, you read Psalm 128, the direction of the table as a, as a dad sitting there and just giving direction to your kids, right? It's such a beautiful psalm in, in explaining how discipleship comes from the head of the table. Well, you're inviting somebody to sit at that table. And be part of that, to take part mm -hmm. of that, to be part of that instruction. And so um, you don't necessarily have to have food, but just inviting people in to your home is such an intimate thing. So I recommend, yeah, it's just when you can um, get to know people in that way. You know, a, an interesting thing happens when you just sit together with somebody over a cup of coffee. You know, um, when when you kind of take down the wall and, you know, you're away from church and now All you're right. in a different setting. And so um, I think small groups look like uh, six to like 10 individuals coming together, maybe some foods involved, definitely going to have to have coffee. Um, but uh, you, you guys are just, you know, opening the word of God and saying, um, let's talk about how this applies to our lives today. How does this look like if we were to live this out? Um, what is what is Jesus or what is this writer really getting down to? And so just getting it down to the understanding, because I like to tell people, you know, there's a lot of well intent out there, but. Um, you know, the Bible is our source of truth. And so what we need to do is, is filter everything in life through that, you know, filter of truth. And so that's what you're doing in that moment with those individuals, you're, you're doing those things. Now you don't get to go, you know, as in depth as you would like, probably, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you also want to make sure that you are giving everybody an opportunity to share that you're laying down some ground rules like, okay, listen, this is not your opportunity to get on a soapbox, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're also wanting everybody to, as I like to, to say, get soul naked, right? 
You want everybody to be able just to share themselves, their struggles, their successes, you know, um, and their failures, you know, and just to open up. And so you, you also got to say what, what is said in this group stays in this group because we're here to build each other, not tear each other down. And so you're here to pray for one another, you know, and so the prayer in that group is going to be something that's important and vital to the success of the group. And so it's vital. It's, it's important that you do all of those aspects mm-hmm. um, because that's going to enrich the process. It's going to build the process. Um, and then you're also using your own, you know, if you're the one hosting it, you're going to use your, like I said before, you're going to use your own life, you know, to be the, 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 the example, right. Of you saying, Hey, listen, you know, um, scripture says that, uh, you know, a gentle word turns away wrath. And the other day I got, I got into a big blow up with my wife. And, you know, I didn't, I did not have success in that passage because I just snapped right back at her and man, it was world war three in our household. And so you, by you opening up, now you just tore down everybody's defenses in that group because now they're seeing that the host is human, (laughs) right? And you've just admitted a fault, but you've also given them a spiritual truth that they can say, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's true. And now they're going into it and saying, yeah, you know, that makes sense because in my life, this happened with my boss, right? And now you've just created these opportunities for everybody to share and to build and to apply. And so that's the key to small group. Now, when you get into one-on-one situations, the accountability in it and the um, the call to action is so much more necessary, Right. So in a small group, you're kind of doing everything as a blanket, like, okay, guys, I want to challenge us to read this passage, right? And it's kind of more blanket things right. throwing out there. But when you get into a small group, now you're in an intimate setting, you're saying to this person, I want you to go. And, you know, you've been telling me that uh, you have, you know, your cousin who's not a believer. I want you for the next two weeks to be praying for that person's salvation and for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And then on that third week, you're going to tell them, Hey, listen, I want you to go this week and just tell them this. I don't want to go another day without knowing where you're going to go when you die. Cause I love you so much. Take them to lunch, take them to coffee and make sure that you share the gospel with this individual. So the the application now is challenging. Mm-hmm. The application is like you're holding that person accountable to the application of the scripture in a more intense way. Right. You're taking them and you're going to say, OK, now um, let's let's learn how to study the word of God. Mm-hmm. So you're going to teach them how you do it, maybe. And then you're going to go ahead and say, now this week, I want you to, you know, you have questions about the Bible. So what is one of your bigger, big questions? One of the ones that I always get people that, that, you know, say to me, the topics that always amuse people is like, um, well, I want to know about the devil or I want to know about um, tattoos. That's like a huge one for some reason. You know, I want to know more about tattoos. I want to know more about this and that. And so (laughs) I say, okay, well, what I want you to do is go to the concordance. You know, Yo, and I want yeah. to look up every verse 
that's on that and read the entire passage, not just the verse, because, you know, you can <laughs> yeah. really take things out of context if you do that. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, well, I want to know if I need to move, if God wants me to move. And then you, you know, open up and it says, you know, and the Lord approached Joseph and said, take mother and child and run to Egypt. You know, where they do one of these where they're like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. No, I know. So, um, so, but, you know, take it into its context. And I always tell them, you know, some of the passages might not have to do with what you're reading. And so that's why you have to read the whole thing. Right. But really find the answers yourself and let's, let's, you know, I want you to research that this week. That's devotion because you're, you have time (laughs) devoted to God and it's not, and it's not got an end or a beginning time. You're just saying this week, I want to find the answer to this question. So you're devoting the time to find the answer. Mm. It's not like a quiet time where you're, you're literally have maybe 10 minutes to a half hour to read a passage, meditate on it, pray on it and try to apply it and go out. This is devotion. You are devoting yourself to finding the answer. And then um, next week, let's, let's go over what you learn. And so you're directly saying and challenging that individual to do. And you see that because, you know, Jesus did the same thing. He's like, okay, you guys have been following me long enough. And there's, there's quite a few of you here now. There's 72 of you. I'm going to send you out. And now you got to apply everything that you've just watched me do. Mm. You need to do right. So uh, Jesus did that very thing is he, he had direct application. He was like, okay, now let's, you guys have intimately seen me do this. Right. Now I'm going to challenge you guys. He didn't do that to the 5,000 plus, you know, um, right. he didn't do that to the, to any of the others that were following. It was just those that had been in the intimate setting. It's definitely true. Uh, when you're looking at discipleship, you're looking at the models. So say, say you got a church out there that wants to really start on discipleship and really start building up a discipleship program Mm -hmm. if you will or focus are there any recommended resources you would have or any advice you would give to that church or the pastor as far as starting something up for more focus yeah i would say um you know one of the things that jesus says is that before a person you know when he's talking about the cost of discipleship right you know, the disciples are talking to him and they're like, Hey, Jesus, we left our father and our mother, mm-hmm. you know, we've done all these things. And Jesus says, okay, well, no one, when they're going out to war, doesn't first count the soldiers on the other side, note their experience and then say, okay, can I afford to go out with my soldiers? Are they ready for this? Or then he will not just send a delegation, talk terms of peace or no builder goes and doesn't count the cost of going and building his home right if not people will come by and mock him because they'll right, say yeah. Look what went unfinished and so that's a direct connotation to discipleship it's knowing your people is really what jesus is saying knowing the cost and knowing your people how far can they go right um and so like you can't call somebody that's that's fresh in in discipleship they they just are trying to understand and or they're a baby believer and now you're trying to disciple them you can't come up to them and say okay you know you need to make sure that you are giving 10 percent of your income to the church and now you have to go ahead and every day you need to sit down and read at least an hour 
you know, instead of watching TV when you get home and, you know, you need to go ahead and start serving in the church. And, you know, I mean, it seems like we immediately start putting all these things that people are like, oh, well, I had no clue about this. Right. Right. Instead, why don't you take a different approach where you have them count what they're able to do and you recognize what they're able to do and say, hey, listen, um, you know, there's thing, this thing called grace giving. And I want to challenge you. Do you think you could, you know, not get a coffee once a week? And that seven bucks that you would have spent on coffee, give that to the church. And then, you know what? I'd love to have you be part of the welcome crew. All I want you to is shake people's hands and tell them, you know, praise God that you're here today. And, and that's how I want you to start serving. And then in a couple of months, we're going to talk and see how, you know, maybe we could stretch and take another step. You know, that is the cost and counting and understanding where people are at. And I think in a church setting, we need to do the same thing. Um, one of the things that I love is that today we have, you know, digital technology everywhere. And I'm not right. savvy, just to let you know, I'm horrible. Oh, at really? This. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. I, I, am really bad at that stuff, but, but you got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. But you can, you can ask my uh, co-host. I, every week, it's just amazing. We're able to record because <laughs> I'm a hack, but um, you know, the, the deal is this is that um, like we, when, when we started taking serious, like, okay, we want to approach our church with a discipleship mindset. I began to pull my people. I got on survey monkey. I think that's okay. what it's called, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Survey chip or something like that. Yeah. yeah, there's a survey monkey. It's like a yeah, survey monkey. monkey. Yeah, <laughs> and so I I sent everybody this uh, these surveys, and I was like, hey, um, you know, how do you feel about small group studies that are year long? You know, and I asked all these different questions. Yeah. Or how do you feel about if we did a study that was only six to twelve weeks? Can you designate time for six to twelve weeks? And it was amazing, the response. People are like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's very doable. I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, 12 weeks as opposed to an entire year. Yeah. So it's knowing, um, you know, what to challenge your people to do. We started something. Um, we moved away from the format of, of um, small group, even though we it's still, in all intents and purposes, a small group, right? Right. You're meeting in a small group. You're meeting uh, sometimes in home, sometimes at a coffee shop, or sometimes we open up the church. It's still in all the same, you know, mechanisms of it. It's a small group, but we call it pod groups. And it's it's because pods in, you know, the, the mammal sense, the marine mammals, they, they do life together. So you're fulfilling that purpose. We're called to do life together scripturally. But then also it stands up for pop-up, on demand. And so what it means is we're going to go ahead and rather than having one host dedicate to open up their house year after year after year after year, and then also say, hey, you're going to have to come up with fresh content week after week after week after week after week. Huh, right, we're right. saying commit to us for 12 weeks and uh, use this material or you teach through this material or use this DVD material. And so we, we walked them through that process and we went from, you know, just a small percentage of people that wanted to even teach 
to so many people that we were having to rotate individuals. Nice. Yeah. And so, um, and then we started offering it more than once because people were like, Oh, when are we doing our next pod? <laughs> you know, and you're talking about people that had shied away or not wanted to do a small group. Now they're saying, when's the next pod. And then <laughs> it's like exciting for them. Right. Why? Because we counted the cost. Yeah looked at it we said if we go ahead and we challenge 15 people to open their house to a small group they feel like they're doing a lifelong commitment where you might get two people to sign up but if we challenged 15 people to give us six weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks you know we might get 10 and so that's that's what i would tell people if they're trying to do that in their church is to understand your church and really just see what your church is able to do and go from there. So do you have any resources that would help churches yeah. build this up? Yeah. So um, we, as a, as a, you know, as a church and, you know, we have the transform 365, which is mm-hmm. our discipleship ministries of the church. We have um, small group material that's out there um, free downloadable at transform 365.com. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, I, I, I'm a writer, so I write for um, Grace Acres um, Press, which is a offshoot of Exegetica. And okay. so um, I've written uh, Break the Mold, and it has the study guide, which is great for small groups. In fact, I wrote it particularly with small groups in mind. And so it has a lot of extras that are not in the book. So I challenge people like we're doing this actually this um, next month, we're going to be going through it ourselves as a church. And so what it is, is we're challenging people to read one chapter a week in the book, Mm -hmm. look up the passages, look up the verses. And then when they come, they're already kind of prepped, right? They're already, they already know where the person's going and they have something already to say, mm-hmm. and then the indivi- they they come to the teaching that's from the book. So I've, there's a lot of extra material not in the actual book book, All right? That's in the study guide, and th- you know you go through that. It has diagnostic questions to ask while you're teaching the material, but then it also has study guide questions, you know, small group questions that go mm-hmm. with it. Um, so that is for purchase. Um, you know, we do have a lot of stuff for free. Uh, we have something called the verb, which is written particularly for small group. And it's just looking at, uh, we called it the verb because the Bible is full of verbs, right? (laughs) Actions that, that, um, not that we have to take, but we should take Mm -hmm. to lead to growth. And so we wrote that for the discipleship small groups. And then we have a one-to-one discipleship manual, um, that's on there as well. And it's called living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage everybody to go and download it. Um, just please don't alter it. Okay. If, <laughs> if you don't agree with, you know, maybe, maybe my doctrine or my, you know, theological stance might be a little bit different than you just maybe skip over that aspect, but you know, it's written to be whole, please don't alter it. That's the only thing I ask. Um, but, uh, you know, we go through every, everything in that, you know, we try to, in the one-to-one, we start with, you know, salvation because we want people to number one, have assurance of salvation, because when you have assurance of salvation, then you know how to go and tell somebody else, you know, that's one of the biggest things for people is 
that they don't share because they aren't clear themselves. So if you bring clarity to somebody what they're saved from and how they were saved, then now they can go and share their own story with other individuals. And so that goes all the way through. It's a 13 week study. Mm-hmm. Um, and some areas, you know, might be a review for people, but it really just is a challenging and exciting um, discipleship manual. It's a one-to-one. So there's a lot of free resources on there. Um, you know, we did um, videos that teach how to lead small groups, you know, what discipleship is, um, how to lay ground rules in, in discipleship uh, small groups, how to find somebody that, um, you know, maybe needs one-to-one discipleship and invest right. more into them. So we, we go through all those different aspects in the uh, transformed uh, 365.com. And then we have the podcast, like you had said earlier. So, so I'm making notes of some things right here. So <laughs> yeah, excellent. No like we said, we're going to have uh, links in the description. So go ahead and check that out and pull it down and take a look at that. So you had made a clear under- explanation as far as difference between disciple and a believer. And yeah. you mentioned the term free grace earlier. Could you explain the difference between how does the free grace view discipleship and how do the, those of the reform persuasion view discipleship? Is there a difference? Yeah. So um, where free grace takes a stance that um, discipleship and salvation are separate, right? Um, you, you, you're saved um, and it's a separate moment from the moment that you decide I'm going to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they do kind of coincide, right? Okay. Um, and for some people you see that where it's like uh, they trust Christ and they're like, well, if I've trusted him with my eternal salvation, I should trust him with my life as well. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes sense to them in that way, mm-hmm. right? Their heart and mind have just been conformed in one minute, right? Right. Um. But then there's the other people that are kind of slow to it. It's kind of like, well, you know, maybe I don't want to stop, you know, drinking. Maybe maybe I don't want to stop, you know, smoking and partying and doing all, you know. Right. And so it's a little bit harder because they've been so ingrained into a system that it's hard for them to separate. Yeah. Well, on the Lordship camp, they would kind of write that person off and say, well, that person must never have been saved. Right. Or or they were only saved in an emotional moment, but it was a false salvation. Um, And so I think that's actually kind of taking the responsibility of discipleship and growth away from pastors in the church. Mm, Yeah. And I I think it's kind of an easy way of, of, um, explaining things away where we have a shortcoming and we do have a shortcoming in churches, you know, where we don't disciple as much as we should. But um, discipleship and the free grace look says, no, discipleship is a process, you know, and discipleship is a separate thing. Discipleship is a moment in somebody's life where they say, you know what, I need to, I need to take my growth serious with the Lord. I want to follow him. You know, because he has done so much for me. I'm going to live my life as a thank you, not because I'm indebted and need to. Mm-hmm. Where on the Lordship side, they say you have to do this because this is part of your salvation. Right. Um, you're earning it. Right. It's a merit. Um, 
you're saying, no, I'm doing this because of my gratitude. I'm so excited and I want a more meaningful relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you're you are coming under the headship of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because you're in a loving relationship where you want him to be your rabbi, right? You want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him and how to apply things biblically. Um, we see this scripturally, you know, the Hebrews, they're, they're rebuked as needing someone to teach them the elementary things mm. once again in Hebrews 5.12. And the writer says, um, by now you should be teachers. In fact, that word that's used there is you should be rabbis. You should be leading others right now, mm. right? But again, you need someone to teach you the elementary things. You you are infants and in need of faith milk, right? (laughs) Um, And so we, you know, it's a very biblical thing that people can either digress or fail to grow, right? Failure to thrive. And failure to thrive comes from what? Parentage. And Mm. so I think that's um, a big issue of the church is where Again, we're pretty good, as you said earlier, we're pretty good at going and evangelizing, and especially in free grace churches. I think that free grace churches and even in lordship churches, they're really on fire about evangelism. You know, evangelism explosion was done by T. James Kennedy, D. James Kennedy, you know, at um, uh, with Knox Theological Seminary. They're very mm-hmm. reformed. Um, and he had a heart for soul winning, you know, but um, you wouldn't make a baby right? No good parent. Let's put it this way. Okay. I should, let me digress a little bit. No good parent (laughs) makes a baby, has a baby, and then locks it up in a room and says, okay, you take care of yourself. You go learn how to do everything yourself, learn how to feed yourself, learn how to, you know, go to the bathroom properly, go learn how to do shower yourself, learn, you know, learn schooling, do all those things, educate yourself. No, a parent, what do they do? They take time to invest their life into this other life. Mm-hmm. That's that's discipleship. That's costly. And that's the same thing in your relationship with others. We're called to invest in others and grow them through discipleship. And so that's the difference between free grace uh, viewpoint and lordship or Calvinist viewpoint where Calvinists kind of just say, well, the Holy Spirit will do the work in you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's called you through that efficacious grace. You know, you were irresistibly called. Right. Um, and, you know, he's going to do the work. I actually sat with a pastor once, and I, I don't like to name names, but he was from that camp. And um, he proceeded to tell me he was going to get sloshed that weekend and he couldn't wait. And I was like, what are you joking? And, and I was like, what, well, you know, and, and I'm not saying that pastors can't have temptations. That's not what I'm trying right. to say. But I was like, well, are you joking? Why are you saying that? And he's like, he's like, what? Come on. And he always joked around. He called me Uber grace. And he's like, Oh, come on, Uber grace. He's like, if the Lord wanted me not to have that, he would remove that desire from my life. So right now it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, wow. But according you, to your own theology, it doesn't fit. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I was like, you guys just really get the theocracy mixed up, you know, 
in God's kingdom, he is a, a great and merciful king, a great king. And yes, he can he can make us do things if he wanted to. But is that the way a proper theocracy works? No. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he doesn't force just like the Queen of England. She doesn't force all the lords and, and dukes and everything to obey her rules and, and monarchy or else there is going to be tyrancy. Yeah. And God's not a tyrant. And so it's the same way with our relationship to our Lord. Yeah. He doesn't force himself upon us, even once we are his. And so it's a, it's a growth relationship. Yeah. And like what you alluded to, and I love the fact that when you're looking at the prodigal, when you're looking at some, I, I know plenty of friends that are very strong Christians. Now they got saved at a younger, younger age and, and they rebelled. Mm -hmm. they, they had a period of their life, a season where they went prodigal to most reform. There's nothing but condemnation for that person saying, Oh, you were never a true believer. You had spurious faith, blah, 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 blah. But with a free grace understanding, there's room for reconciliation. There's room to minister to that prodigal and not cast them out. And so, yeah, uh, I mean, a prime example of that is uh, Paul Barnabas and John Mark. Right. Mm, yeah, exactly. Where, that division. Yeah. Where Paul was like, hey, listen, Barnabas, if you're going to stand with John Mark, your cousin, this kid <laughs> is, you know, he's he's not set for ministry. He yeah. he needs to get out of here. It's either me or him. And Barnabas actually made the right choice. Right. <laughs> like, see you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. He's like, all right. Well, you know, no one's beyond God's grace. So I'm going to yeah. choose my cousin and I'm going to work with him. Yeah, yeah. He ran away from us a couple of times when things got hard. Right. <laughs> he's abandoned us a few times. But later on, Paul's like, hey, listen, send to me, John Mark. I love that guy because yeah. he came back. I was wrong about that guy. Yeah. Right. Um, it's because no one's beyond God's grace and reach. And, and that's the truth of it. Even in discipleship, you know, we may run away and try to avoid it. It might get hard. You know, maybe we miscalculated the cost. Right. We're leaving a building half done. Um, but the Lord is gracious and he lets <laughs> us come back. Amen. So I do want to go ahead and get into a few passages real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, some passages that cause a little bit of confusion as far as discipleship and, uh, uh, being a disciple, being a believer is concerned. The first one is going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 26. And mm -hmm. uh, Matthew 16, verse 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Uh, could you explain what is Jesus saying here? Does this mean if we live for the world, we're going to go to hell? Is this salvific? Is this discipleship, sanctification? What's he mean? Yeah, I think um, in this um, passage, it can be easily um, misunderstood if you only read verse 26, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're only just looking at what is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul, because, you know, what can a man get in exchange for his soul? Um, you're going to miss something. But if you go to verse 24, it says, and Jesus is telling his, you read it. <laughs> Jesus said unto his disciples. Yeah. yeah. So are his disciples saved? Yes. yes. So are the, is the context talking about salvation or discipleship? 
Well, then if he's talking to his disciples and if his disciples are saved, then we have to rule out it's that it's a salvific verse, right? Mm -hmm. It's not talking about salvation because he's not trying to save his disciples. They're already saved. <laughs> so he's trying to teach them a discipleship understanding or discipleship way of life. And so the next part of that in verse 24 lets us know what the underlying theme is. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's giving what I like to call a paradox, right? It's um, you have to die in order to live for God. <laughs> um, you have to deny yourself and die on your cross and follow me. Um, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever is trying to live for the here and the now is going to lose himself for my sake, right? Um, and that's that's the word that's used there where it's translated soul. Now, soul in the New Testament, suke, mm -hmm. um, can, can be used, um, that word suke, can be used for like the essence inner man, right? Mm -hmm. Or the like your spirit. All right. Okay. Now later on, like Paul, a lot of times he'll use the word pneuma, right? To let us know that it's the spirit, right? The spirit of man, right? And so that he he kind of kind of takes that off the table for us. But um, you know, in in the gospels, a lot of times they'll talk about your inner being, who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Your personality, the person, as suke, and and it also is used interchangeably for the spirit of a person too. Um, you know what goes and when you die and lives on. And so in this passage, he's saying, "Hey, listen, um, you're you're going to gain so much in life, yeah, if you just run and please yourself and enjoy life to the fullest, however you want." You know, um, as as King Solomon said, you know, uh, I did not deny myself anything under the sun. Right. Right. But what did it gain me? I lost myself. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're going to lose yourself. Right. You're going to lose your identity in me. You're not going to be looked at as one that is following after me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to forfeit who you are, you know, your identity as a son in Christ. You know, that's part of this too, right? The meta narrative of the gospels is what John calls, we have been given the right to be called children of God. Mm -hmm. Something that was reserved only for uh, Old Testament, the angelic beings, right? Okay. And now we're being called into this family with God. And so he's like, you know, you're losing that identity as being one that's looked at as a child of God, because you're going after things that are killing your relationship with the father. And he's like, um, so, so what do you, what can you get in exchange for the, your soul, right? What can you get in exchange for losing yourself to the world and losing your identity in Christ? He's like, in the end, what did it matter? Right. Yeah. In the end, when you're standing face to face with God, you, are you going to be like, oh, well, you know, I partied real hard. Mm -hmm. Are you just going to sit there in shame as, as you know, scripture says the, when, when he looked at the, the, 
slaves at his servants. And he said, you know, well done, well done to the other two. And then he looks at the one and he says, you, you're wicked. You're evil. Yeah. What have you done? The guy has no one else to blame but himself. He, you know, it's not like the, the snake in the garden where the, you know, the man looks at the woman, the woman looks at the snake and the snake looks and is like, oh man, you know, <laughs> no, this, this servant, he knows. Yeah. He has nowhere to turn. He just looks and he's like speechless. You know, I think that's what is really being drawn out here is that, um, yeah, we can pursue our fleshly desires, but we lose ourselves in the process. Hmm. We lose ourself and our, our stance, this, this new divine creature that we have become, we lose that, you know, not our salvation. Right. right? Cause that's ours. In fact, the Lord said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. That's a, 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 you know, perfect tense imperative, you know, it's present tense. You, you have it, you know, it's yours right now. You have eternal life. So, you know, it's not talking about eternal life. We can't lose that. That's ours. It's already in our grasp. We've already experienced it. You know, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit's in us, but I'm losing myself. I'm losing my relationship with you, God. I'm losing my identity in you, God. Why? Because I'm not living my divine purpose, which is to bring, bring glory to you. I've been bringing glory to myself. Amen. Amen. That's going to be, that would definitely be a good uh, soundbite clip as well. And I made a couple notes and, you know, I look at it sort of like the caterpillar chrysalis process. Like when, when we get saved, you know, we get the Holy spirit of God in us. And when a caterpillar goes and makes the cocoon, matter of fact, his cells eat itself to where in the fact that if you cut the cocoon at a perfect time, uh, this soup will just pour yeah, out of soup. it, yeah. you know? And, uh, and so there's a cell that's within the caterpillar that actually rebuilds itself into the beautiful butterfly. And I would look at that cell being the Holy spirit within the Christian saying that that's there. No. The ability is there. It's like you said, if we're willing to die to ourself, we can become what God has yeah. created this us. This chapter in my book, Break the Mold, dedicates that. It's called histogenesis because that's Great. the process that you're talking about there. Yeah. Where you, you, one creature, right? It's, and that's why I think the, the butterfly and caterpillar is such a great narrative of that. Mm-hmm. It was one thing that looked a completely different way with completely different features and completely mm. different everything, right? Yeah. No way look at that ugly little worm and say that thing is going to grow wings, (laughs) get a proboscis, you know, completely different mouth, completely different eyes, grow legs. And now it's going to be, no, it completely turns into mush, that black garbage, you know, it's, it's black liquid in a process called histogenesis where it completely becomes something new. And that's what God's called us to. That's amazing, man. That's wonderful. Well, let's get to another verse. And and it's one that I don't know if I'm misunderstanding it or misapplying it, but obviously uh, we're going to look at the Great Commission. You you alluded to it earlier. You referenced it. And Jesus Christ, he he tells to his apostles, 
He says, go therefore and teach all nations in verse 19 of Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Is is this an evangelistic go out and, and preach the gospel and save the lost? Or is this a discipleship focus? Hey, go ahead and teach them, disciple them. Or is this both? What are your thoughts? Okay, so um, I, I actually get asked this quite a bit. Yeah. And I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it wonderful? Yes. I like yes. That. <laughs> um, so, uh, but um, the emphasis of this passage is discipleship. Okay. And of this passage is discipleship. The go part of this passage is the evangelistic side. Okay. Because actually, if we're going to read it properly, it would be as you are going. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because the assumption is you're already going to be excited about telling other people about salvation. Right. So as you're going, proclaiming this great truth of salvation, make disciples of those people. Mm. Um, baptizing them. You know, that's actually not um, water baptism either. It's uh, baptizo mai just simply means to immerse. Okay. And he lets us know what you're immersing them in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Um, so you're immersing people in the teaching of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you're having them, and if there's any part of water baptism, so I got to clarify that also. Okay. Right. It's the obey all I have commanded you, because Jesus has called us to baptize you know, mm -hmm. in water baptism. So that is the aspect of, of being obedient into baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Of, of water um, to go under and come up a, a, a new creature, just as you've already done in your salvation. And so that is really the call is discipleship. Okay. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to engage people into discipleship. I'm going to have them sit at my feet and learn from me, or in, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So as I'm learning from Christ, I'm teaching people to learn from what I'm learning, right? right? And then I'm going to immerse them in the teaching of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So I'm not really teaching them like to be me. I'm teaching them from my successes and failures of what it means to live like Christ. Yeah. And then I'm teaching them to live out Christ by observing him and obeying him and his command to, to love. And so, um, you know, that, and it's a command it's, you know, he, he, he's commanding us to do that. It's, you know, he's, he's, he's saying, Hey, listen, all authority in heaven on earth, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, you can't, divorce this passage of verse 18 all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me i'm the supreme ruler <laughs> right he's saying what what was you know taken from what satan thought he was taking from god in the garden what he thought he had success in at the tower of babel 
in dividing the nations, right? Um, what he, you know, thought he had overcome through, you know, the Noah's Ark, you know, all those different, you know, narratives and falls and, and things. He's like, um, guess what? I've just, I've just redeemed the entire world. <laughs> I've just bought it back. And not just the world, but all of heaven is mine now. All of heaven and all of earth is mine. That's under my kingship. And because of that, I want you to be my representatives on earth. <laughs> so as representatives of mine on earth, I want you to extend this grace to everyone. And then disciple them on what it looks like to live as sons of God. Immerse them in all of my teaching. Don't, don't, don't bring in any, any side things. No, just keep it on me. Keep my, keep the focus on me and teach them to obey the law of love, right? Because there's that other aspect, you know, of where, where Jesus says, Hey, listen, um, you know, take up my yoke mm -hmm. because my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. And that's another narrative going back to rabbis. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus also says in another passage, he says, you know, the Pharisees, they tie an unfair yoke to their disciples, yeah. to their learners, because they put laws on them that they themselves cannot keep. Mm -hmm. A yoke in biblical times was actually the interpretation of the law that a rabbi um, would give okay mm -hmm. so it's like okay this is what i'm strapped to this is the yoke the burden that i carry to live out okay well jesus is saying okay listen my burden is i fulfilled the entire law so you know mm -hmm. what i'm tying you to an unequal yoke you're not going to be carrying anything because my law my interpretation of the entire law is that you love me and love people <laughs> do that that's what i command you and so it's a beautiful thing right there. And he's like, and then listen, you're not going to be alone. I'm not going to leave you as infants because I'm with you. Amen. That's between what you just said this time. And then right before you got into that, you could definitely see the heart of a pastor coming out. Of you. <laughs> Sorry about that. You I was know. sermonizing. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was excellent because that, that really resonated with me, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate that heart of the pastor that I mean, it makes sense, you know, Mr. Doctor, Professor, Brother, <laughs> Pastor guy. But uh, so, no, definitely. I, I really appreciate that. Last last passage I want to get to and then we'll button this thing up. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. A lot yeah. of times this passage is used by the reform to go ahead and teach, again, a, a workspace fruit based salvation and specifically in verse number six in John chapter 15, when Jesus says, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather the branches. They're cast into the fire and they are burned. Mm -hmm. Could you explain uh, again, discipleship or salvific? What's Jesus saying here with I'm the vine, you are the branches. And how does that apply to us today? Yeah. So if we again, go to the, the, ultimate group that Jesus is talking about in the Olivet Discourse, 
Um, this is um, the a teaching to his disciples. So there's three main, um, I mean, even though a lot of the gospels, you'll notice that Jesus is talking to the, to his disciples and the crowd and, um, and, or he's talking to the Pharisees and then his address turns to the disciples or something like that. Uh -huh. This is, he's specifically addressing the disciples, right? Um, so you have that in, in Matthew five through seven, which is the, mm -hmm. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount. You have it in the Olivet Discourse and you have it in the Upper Room Discourse. Those are specific teachings to his disciples. He is telling them, you know, this is this is discipleship 101 right here. Mm -hmm. okay? And so this is one of those passages. He's talking to his disciples and he doesn't stop talking to his disciples. But also, again, you got to go to content. Content and context, 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 context. I always tell everybody that. Yep. And um, in the passage, Jesus specifically says, hey, listen, if you don't do this, you can't be a disciple of mine. Right. Um, he says, um, this proves that you can be my disciple. OK, verse eight. And um, this is the will of my father that, you know, you glorify my father, that you bear much fruit and so prove that you're my disciple. So. This is a discipleship passage. This isn't salvific. Jesus isn't saying, hey, listen, um, you do these things. This is the list, right? This is the golden list. You do these things and you go to heaven. Um, no, this is Jesus saying, hey, listen, you do these things and you're growing in your relationship and following me. And so um, you take the whole thing because John 15, 7 makes it clear the power of thriving in your relationship is you have to abide in him um, and his word abides in you. Right. right. And so it's just basically you're staying in God's word and God's word is staying in you. You're not departing from it. You're not depending on Dr. Phil's wisdom. You know, you're not, yeah. not going to and you're not going to a rabbi's wisdom. You're not going to a rabbi to tell you. Right. Because that was the common thing in that day is you would take Gamaliel's application mm -hmm. of the Bible. Right. And that's what you're living rather than your interpretation of what the Bible actually says. And so God's Jesus saying, hey, listen, let my word, my word abide in you. Mm -hmm. don't abide in somebody else's word that's already been chewed up and they're they've been digesting it for you go by my application of the word go by what i'm telling you go by what scripture says don't go by what you know any of you know i think that the 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 theologians of yesteryear the zwinglies and the calvins and the bezas i think they'd be sick if they saw how people follow what they say mm. you know um because Yes, it's good to read commentaries. It's good to read books, but you, you need to read God's word. Right. And you need to take that. And that's what this is saying. Abide in that. Stay in that. Let it stay in you. You see, the beauty of the passage starts in verse one, where Jesus is talking about growth. He's talking about, you know, how the father is like a gardener pruning the unnecessary uh, nutrient stealing growth from our lives. The stuff that sucks the energy and and brings no results, he cuts it off and and you know so so the new and the glorious growth can take place and produce fruit in our lives, 
And then the branches that are touching the ground and just getting dirty and dingy and, and, you know, being spoiled because fruit that's on the ground, you know, it's going to get worms and things. Mm -hmm. He lifts it up, you know, he lifts it up. He, the one that's struggling and he nourishes it, he cleans it off. Um, he lifts it up. He, he lifts it up, um, you know, to, to, uh, he, he, he ties it to the trellis, right? That, that word um, where it says that uh, he gathers it up, right? He's lifting it up. He's he's picking it up. Right. He picks it up. He cleans it off. He cleans the dirt off. He nourishes it up back into the sun's rays. You know, uh, I am the true vine. You know, every branch that's in me and does not bear fruit, he takes it off. He takes it away. He aerates it. Hmm. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. He clips it, right? Yeah. Why does he clip the good fruit, the fruit bearing portion of the tree so it produces more fruit all right so he's lifting up the one that's in the ground right because god cares about his children even the ones in the ground he goes back for the lost sheep even he doesn't abandon the 99 he puts right. it in safe and he goes back for the one that's lost he prunes it so it produces more fruit he even says that he prunes it so it produces more fruit yeah so when he talks about the one struggling he takes it away is a very poor translation, depending on, you know, what you're reading it from. Right. Uh, means to lift up, to pick up. Mm -hmm. And so it's similar. It's actually the same word that's used in Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, your cross, anyone wishing to follow me must pick up his cross. Mm. Or in Matthew 11, as we had read earlier. And when he gives us that burden, it's to take up, right? To make the bear the burden light for somebody. Right. Um, and so he, God's holding it up. He's changing the distribution of weight. Um, <laughs> I interesting thing, I I, you know, truly I understood this passage so much better when I started uh getting into growing plants. I, I had <laughs> yeah. vines in my in my yard for years. And um I didn't know that you actually have to um you do have to clip them every winter you really have to clip back vines very drastically and radically even yeah. though they look gorgeous right so you got all this superficial fluffy leaf growth right. but it's going to give you no fruit in the summer and spring if you don't radically prune it back yeah and then you can't let the the branches touch the ground because what ends up happening is they start to to cast out um superficial uh, roots and what ends up happening is is they start depending on those that branch will start depending for life sustenance on those superficial little root system and then they uh, die off yeah so what you have to do is you have to lift it up clean off those little tiny roots that are there and then mm -hmm. tie it back to a trellis and then prune it back and then come spring and summer <laughs> you get some delicious berries right yeah and that's the same thing taking here, you know, um, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to trim you. Um, I'm going to I'm going to lift you up. Um, and then we we all know that, um, you know, fire is not always connotated with hell. Right. You know, it's not Tartarus. It's not, you know, God's not throwing people to hell mm -hmm. because you read First Corinthians three, you read First Corinthians six, you read different passages within scripture that talks about the purification process of, right. you know taking the, you know, hay, hay, wood and stubble 
Why? Because God wants to put us through this process of cleansing us and, and taking away what doesn't matter, the dross in our life. Right. So we produce the good, right? Um, and this is what we're, we're, we're called to, um, to abide in him and our word, his word in us. Mm. So whatever we ask, because we're asking in accordance to his word, <laughs> it's going to be done for us. Um, and that's the meaning of the scripture is that God is, is promising to his disciple because that's who he's talking to. He's like, Hey, listen, as you're in my word and you're growing in me and I'm pruning you back and I'm getting rid of the dross and getting rid of the garbage and I'm, I'm cleaning off your leaves and I'm pruning you and producing more fruit. And right. you're seeing all this growth in your life because you're in my word, you're going to ask things according to my word and I'm going to give it to you because it's going to be uh, more growth, right? You're going to ask things according to my word. And why wouldn't I want to give you things according to my word? And then in the end, all of this is going to bring glory to the father. And so this passage is a complete discipleship passage where he's just calling us to something bigger and greater than ourselves in our relationship with him, which is growth. Yeah. And, you know, just a growth beyond what we can even imagine. Amen. So whereas uh, I love how you put it there and you used the illustration of you being a gardener yourself and what you learned through actually physically handling yeah. uh, the vines and things like that. And really in its context, like you articulated, it's, it's a passage of hope and mercy and, and yeah. just restoration as opposed to what many try to take it as a message of judgment and condemnation yeah. again. And uh, that's totally not what it's meant to be. And so I appreciate you exegeting that for us. Well, that's the last question I have for you today. Uh, I just appreciate you being here, Mr. Dr. Professor, Brother Cody Wallace. <laughs> and uh, as we wrap this up, is there any last things you want to say? Any clarifications, any buttoning up uh, of anything at all? Um. Well, Again, I just uh, thank you for inviting me on, Daniel, and it's been a blessing and, and just an honor. And uh, I think that if uh, anybody's going to get anything out of today, I hope that it's they see the difference between being a disciple of Christ, meaning a follower in its biblical sense, meaning follower. I'm following Jesus and his word and his teaching, as opposed to I'm a believer Meaning I have salvation mm -hmm. and I know where I'm going when I die. Mm -hmm. It should be everyone's goal to be a disciple of Jesus, right? In Matthew 10, Jesus says that it is the goal of every disciple to be like his master. And so our ultimate goal in discipleship is to be like Christ. And honestly, we will not experience that until we mm -hmm. see him face to face. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, like I said, uh, numerous times there'll be links in the descriptions for his books, his resources, his church, his podcast. And if there's anything else you want me to link in the descriptions, you can feel free to go ahead and shoot it over to me. I think we got all bases covered, but otherwise yep. just let me know. Don't forget to head over there, follow his ministries, follow his church. Uh, don't forget Grace Zone app as well. He's on there, so you can follow that and a host of other free Grace uh, uh, teachers and preachers. And don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. Thanks and God bless.